0: Hello and welcome back to The Stories That Brought You Here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I am your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I'll be sitting down in one-on-one, hour-long-ish conversations with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this dynamic little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I will be speaking with Paul Witterchauvin. Now, if you know Paul, like I know Paul, then you're going to know him as that guy you met about a year ago who lives on his boat in Browning Harbor. Well, we're going to get to hear Paul talk about that at length, along with many other things. We're going to get to hear Paul talk about a health scare that happened recently that helps to shift and reshape how he was going about perceiving life. We'll get to hear Paul talk about the importance of wearing yellow glasses, and he will talk about many other very interesting things in an interview that I'm going to say is unlike any of the interviews I've done up until this point. I feel really fortunate that Paul accepted my offer to come in and have a conversation, and I think that Paul was really open and really expressed a lot of amazing ideas and philosophies and beautiful things in this interview. If you find yourself here listening to this and you've never met Paul before, I highly recommend that you stick it out to the end because this whole interview was great. So that's all I'm gonna say for that. Other than I think Paul was battling a bit of a cold that evening, which he never complained or even mentioned once. So you might pick up on that a little bit on the audio, but other than that, I'm gonna say pure magic. So, That's it for the intro. We'll see you guys on the other side. And without further ado, here's my interview with Paul Witterchauvin. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Right on. Here we are on a... uh, Early October, late evening. It's dark outside. We have some great mood lighting going on in the basement studios here. Yeah, it's a chilly fall day outside, but uh, raining. Rainy day today as well. Rain too. day for sure. How was how was uh, your rain day for the most part?
1: Oh, it was good. Uh, rain is it's just part of life when you're when you when you live on a boat. So it's it's just another day. You just dress
0: appropriately. Okay. I Actually, when something you sent me, you said that you don't really get as wet on the boat as you would on land.
1: No, I've never been wet in the rain since I've lived on a boat, except for the day that we rented a car. And I didn't bring my rain gear because I was in a car and I got drenched running to the car <laughs> for three years. It's rained a lot in BC and I've never been wet once because of the rain.
0: And I drive my scooter in the rain too. <laughs> when did you get the scooter when you first moved here?
1: Yeah, six months after we
0: came to Pender, we did
1: the uh, car stops and uh, little folding bikes. That's for the first six months.
0: And then, and then it was scooter life. Soon yeah. after that, it was scooter life. Yes. Now we have two scooters.
1: Okay. Well, we're <laughs> gonna
0: get to uh, scooter life and boat life uh, <laughs> at some point during this, which I'm excited to hear about the boat life in particular. But before we get to there, let's hit the the first traditional question, which is, what brought you to Pender Island?
1: Well, that's an interesting story all by itself. Um, about five years ago, um, I've always had this dream of living on a boat. And I said to my wife, I said, what?" I told her these dreams. I said to her one day, I said, why don't we sell the house and go buy a boat? And my expectation was, you know, don't be so stupid. Uh, and she said, okay. <laughs> so we put the house up for sale. And two years later, nothing happened. Nobody was looking, nobody was offering. So we sort of resigned ourselves to staying in New Brunswick. And about four months after that again, she said, "What do do we put the house up for sailing and go get that boat? I said, do you really think we're going to want to go through that again? She said, yeah, let's try. So we put the house up, and I think within three days we had an offer, and they asked if we could be out in two weeks. Uh, so we had a big yard sale. We sold everything we owned including the house, we put the remainder uh, that allowed room for the dog in a van, and we took off across the country, uh, hoping we'd find a boat. But we also had the agreement when we left that if we would had to turn left before we got there, we would. So anyway, we arrived here in August of 2016, I guess. Stayed with my brother in Parksville, and we started looking for boats. And a month later, no boat. Two months later, we put in an offer, but that deal fell apart. But we knew the right boat was there for us waiting. We had total confidence that it was. And then I saw a boat that was available in Salt Spring. And I called the guy. And I said, if if you'll accept this low ball offer, I didn't determine that, but I said, this crazy low offer, I will come look. Yeah. So we got there. And as we were going out to look at it, it was moored out in the harbor. This guy says, that's my boat over there. And I said, my... I was here two years ago just uh, visiting and I talked to you on the dock about your boat and you told me that you had a boat on the other side. I could go look at it if I wanted to. So uh, Charlene took a picture of the harbor and that picture of this boat was on her computer for the last two years. So she walked on and she says, I could live on this. And that was enough for me. I said, I'll take it. Hmm. <laughs> right there on the spot. Yeah, so uh, that was the start of, of being here. And we stayed in Salt Spring. That was, We bought it in November. We stayed in Salt Spring for the winter. And then that summer, we put on 1,200 miles. And we did the coast. We were in a ton of inlets from here to uh, Bella Bella and back down. And uh, while we were on that trip, uh, we were looking for a place to possibly winter and that it wasn't salt Spring. and we, we were seriously looking. And part of our problem was is when we were going up north, there's so many places that you're, you're totally by yourself. I mean, you in the land, you in the water, you and you in the eagles, you and the fish, you and the whales, in silence in peace that most harbors felt very, very busy, loud so we were we were looking for something special, and we just couldn't find it. We were in Quadra Island, and we thought there was a possibility that we could stay in Harriet Cove. It looked pretty promising, it was pretty quiet and then one day she said, "Well, I was looking in the on the charts and in the coastal cruising books, and there's this place down past Vancouver. Uh, it's called Pender Island. They got a laundromat." They got a liquor store, they got a grocery store, they have a library, they have a pharmacy. It's just about perfect. I said, do you know how far away that is now? No, no, but I'd really like to go. So off we went. It took us three or four days to get here. And when we pulled in the harbor, there was just this sense is that this seemed like a good place. I don't even think we got to shore yet. It just had this sense. And that, that sense has only built since we've come and we've only left three times for no more than a day wow well, we have <laughs> been the salt spring we've been the prevo <laughs> we've been to uh Main island and once to sydney in the last two years okay and so
0: this whole time that you've been on pender you've been in browning harbor yes on your boat yes okay and so, on a mooring on a mooring yes okay and so well you know I've never interviewed somebody in this podcast yet who lives on their boat. How many people live on their boat in Browning Harbor currently? Maybe two others. Whoa, seriously, that's it?
1: In the harbor, yeah. In, yeah, maybe one, two at the dock, maybe. Okay,
0: all right. Yeah. I thought it was actually a few more, but no. uh, I no, guess. In the
1: summertime, there's more people who stay on their boats, but year round. I think there's only two others.
0: Okay. So can you describe what it's like to live on a boat year round? <laughs> At first it was
1: really, really hard. <laughs> it was hard work. Everything was new. Everything was, was old. Taking the, get the stove, the diesel stove. We got there in November. So, you know, it's kind of chilly and it snowed that winter. It took me three months to get that stove to throw off any heat. And, yeah, that was it was tough. It was really really tough, but we got through it. And now it's grand. The coziest place on the entire island is on, is on our boat. The temperature is always 22, 23 degrees. Oh, no, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's cooler in the in the sleeping area, so we we get life perfect as far as temperature. But we we haul our own water, we haul our own fuel for the for the engines and for the for the stove. We prefer to be on the mooring than at the dock. Uh, the dock is not really that noisy but for our standards it's just busy we like the peace, Uh, we like the solitude, but probably the most amazing thing is living on a boat is that you are in nature, literally (laughs) and between the, the seagulls and the otters and the seals and the wind and the sun and the moon and the stars and the calm it's well I'll give you a, a sense. Charlene had never been on a boat really in her life. Okay. So this is pretty bigger her, brave of her to say, Yeah, I'll go buy a boat and live on it with you. Right? <laughs> sure. It could have lasted a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she says frequently, I love this boat. I love living on this boat. It's just I can't tell you why, but it's warm, it's ours, it's quiet, it's close but yet really far away, yeah, it's pretty special.
0: Okay, well, two things I want to get to. First one is the logistics, and the second one is the feeling around it because I think for most people, they wouldn't really understand what the logistics are because you said that you haul your own water and you haul your own food, or excuse me, and food and fuel as well too, right? But what does that look like?
1: Uh, Well, we don't use much water, but we haul in 20-liter jugs poured into our tank okay. and we have a filtering system on the boat so we haul that from shore we don't bring the boat in fill it up uh, and it's just a habit we sort of started with and it seems to be part of the um, routine and it's not a big deal anymore it's just part of life for for us is that you you haul water and we're excited about how little we use uh, we wash dishes we wash our hands uh, before we showered on the on the boat and we had hot water only on when we when we took sh- took showers um, but now we, we shower at the marina we probably only use 3 gallons of water a day maximum mm. <laughs> yeah so it's, it's kind of cool how little we little we use we have no electrical appliances on board we have a an alcohol stove that we cook all our food on we have a diesel stove that heats the place we have two laptops and we have lights
0: that's the extent
1: of our appliances and our electrical gadgetry.
0: And what's the size of the cabin?
1: Where our boat is 63 feet overall, so we're a little spoiled. Okay. <laughs> Most people don't realize that in our salon we have a, a love seat and two Lazy Boy chairs, uh, one of them for the dog, of course. So it's, it's a large, comfortable boat. And as, as one guy who works on a boat, he says, you have the driest boat I've ever seen. It's warm. It's dry. It's, I mean, it's not wet. It's not damp. We're spoiled with lucky with that.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so you talked about your wife describing her joy of living on a boat and being surrounded by nature. So that that feeling is that a sense of feeling invigorated, feeling of adventure, like activated from being on the water all the time, outdoors, all those things. What is it exactly uh, that
1: there is no exactly it's 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 almost like you're in sync with the world or with nature right you're moving up and down with the tide you may not even recognize it but things are changing all the time you know when the moon rises and when it's where it is in the in the the sky you don't have to go looking it's just part of the day and when you're there you're conscious of the weather and it's not so much as that you're worried about what's happening tomorrow it's just you're a part of it and you can't avoid it and you know, you don't run out to your grads and jump in your car. We, we go out onto the deck and we jump into our little rubber dinghy, right? So we, we participate in the weather and then we get on our scooter and it's just, you're just part of it. And I don't think you can even explain it without experiencing it. And it is adventure to the point this whole thing was based on trusting that things would work out. Uh, it's like the first de- the deal on the boat falling apart. And I am so grateful that the first deal fell apart because this boat is so much better because mm. we have natural light on our boat that allows us to be above the waterline. So we're not sitting in a cave. Okay. And, yeah, and that's made that's been such a tr- gift to have light, <laughs> natural light all the time. So we, we trust that's how things will be and it will continue that. Yeah, it's just, if it looks like it's, a negative thing, so to speak, there's something else coming.
0: Always. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's a really great description, Paul. That's great. I want to back up a little bit and head back to the time that you decided and that you wanted to go purchase a boat and you're living in New Brunswick. What were you doing in New Brunswick at that time and what did your life look like there at the time?
1: Well, to put it really simple, we we had a house that was on a hill overlooking – one of the famous rivers in New Brunswick, was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. We had two big chairs that we sat in every morning, had coffee and ate breakfast. And Charlene looked at me one day and she says, I don't want to be sitting in these chairs the rest of my life. (laughs) Meaning that life was not that adventurous. (laughs) And that's when we made the decision to do something, to make a change of some sort. And that's when I introduced the idea of of buying a boat. Let's you want to go on an adventure? That's what we call it, an adventure. Yeah. Right. We're going on an adventure, and and that's what it, That's what that was the motivation. And when that looked like it wasn't going to happen, we didn't know how to to, to put that in the in a place where we were familiar. But when the house sold, it, that's what it was. We just we're going on. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know where we're going. We don't know where the boat is. We don't know if we can afford one. All those things. Uh, and even when we sailed up the coast, I mean, we just jumped in a sixty-foot. It was a ship. I had never have been on a never sail a boat larger than thirty-two feet, and here I had a sixty-foot ship, and we were sailing in some of the wildest, most beautiful landscape in the entire world.
0: Well, at what age were you and your wife when you made this decision? So we've been here for three years. So I'm sixty-one now. It would have been when I
1: was fifty-eight.
0: Okay yeah okay,
1: or I guess it started when I was fifty six <laughs> well, yeah, like and she's the same age
0: as me. I'm I'm so curious about that because it's it's such a radical choice that uh, I don't think a lot of people make, as far as I'm aware of, around that time. You know, to just basically because you grew up in New Brunswick, is that correct?
1: Why well, I, I was born and, and raised in Cape Breton, and then we moved there. We moved to Saint John, New Brunswick, when I was seventeen last year, high school. So that's where I had been. I came to Vancouver Island when I was 18 years old and I vowed I was coming back to live here. My two brothers lived here and I I tried before, couldn't make it. It took me 40 years to get 40 years to get back. But we when the house sold, we said, we looked at each other, are we freaking insane? Right, we had this beautiful house on the side of the river, and mortgage almost done, and they we're gonna sort of just say, "The hell with everything, we're just going." Right, yeah. we're just going. Were you scared? To a certain degree, but I was. We were more afraid of not going. Yeah, we were afraid. More afraid of not going. Mm. Yeah, this is crazy.
0: Was it, so the build up to this, were you in your way of discussing this idea or the possibility of this idea for years or did no, it no. just?
1: No, it was sort of a, it sort of happened with a suggestion, an idea. This is, you remember you talking about that boat? Well, why do, we, do we sell the house and go? And, and this was their family homestead that her, her, she had been willed to her from her father and it was the last piece of land and the last child and blah, blah, blah. So the house was meaningful and all these things were attached to it. And, and Charlene sold stuff that was dear to her, that she had valued for so many years. And that didn't have the same value anymore. It was changing. And there was a lot of freedom that she gained from that. Okay. Yeah, she really felt that way and it was it was a struggle. It took those 2 years that the house didn't sell to actually be comfortable with letting that stuff go. Yeah.
0: Oh, there's, there's so many directions to go here. I'm really curious as to uh, a lot of things, but maybe to try to open this up a little bit, I, I want to talk a little bit about how your experience has been on Pender since you've been here and how your life has changed since you've been on Pender. So perhaps from this starting point of the first few months and then getting to know the island and and deciding if you're going to remain here or not, how did the experience unfold for you?
1: Well, when I when we got here, we we knew we were going to stay the winter. That's what we just des- we decided. We're going to we're going to stay here and we'll see what happened in the spring. So Charlene, she um, got a job at the True Value. She wanted to be busy, so she got a part time job at the True Value. The first of September, that was two weeks after we got here. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'd uh, volunteer, maybe help drive the community bus. So I saw the bus down by the the True Value one day, and I just sort of. Introduced myself and told the guy that, you know, I was thinking maybe I'd get my my license and help drive the bus. He said, well, why don't you come with a tour around the island for with me? So his name was Chuck, and we went for a tour. And on the ride, I said to him, I said, uh, so tell me, why do you live here? And he said, well, you know, my parents had a place here this summer and whatever. I said, no, no, no. Why, did you, why do you choose to live here? And he hummed and hopped for a few minutes. And he said, well, honestly, I think the reason is people still care about each other here. He said, you may not read it in the, in the pender post or something like that, but if something, somebody needs something, it happens, you know, behind the scenes, it doesn't have to be spread all over the place, but that's what happens here. It's interesting. And then in November one day, I wasn't feeling very well, my problems with my stomach and I went up to pick up Charlene at the grocery store and on the way back. I told her, she says that sounds like heart to me. I said, No, least, no, it doesn't feel like that to me. So I had supper, and I went outside uh, after supper, and I had this really intense feeling. And I looked up on my phone, heart attack symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's what I had, the top seven. Oh no! I I saw. So I walked back inside. I said, Charlie, I think you better call nine one one. I think even before she got the the phone the phone dial, she was she was in the dinghy ready to ready to go. She wasn't going to wait for me. So anyway, we went to shore, medical center, people waiting on the dock, helicopters flown to Victoria, rushed me in. I get two stints, blah 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 blah, and we're strangers here. And somebody the next morning that Charlie had met like once or twice walking the dog calls from Kamloops and said, I heard about Paul. The key to the house is underneath the whatever. Just feel free to stay there. Come if you need a space. If Paul gets out, whatever. Just, just use the house. And people, Facebook, they stopped her in the dock. They stalked her in the street and volunteered to help her or bring her this or do that or assist her on the... I was just blown away. So was she. How, how people sort of just stood up, came out of nowhere and just supported her because she she didn't come on the helicopter she stayed with the dog on the boat (laughs) yeah it was really fantastic yeah that whole experience was like that I remember 52 people I counted them between the ambulance people the the doctor the helicopter pilots the paramedics and the staff at the emergency the staff in the cardiac unit and every one of them are incredible so we sort of got this bond, <laughs> this appreciation for for what's here.
0: So yeah, that's really wild. Well, first of all, how did things go health wise after that happened for you? Well, I recovered quite quickly. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. And then, along with the recovery, came a appreciation for the community.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was all so big the appreciation and there, there was we sensed there was something here but that was that was sort of our introduction and, and life has been sort of i'll call it magical in other ways since we we've, we've come here yeah things have happened that you just can't even imagine that they could happen okay yeah. well let's Gen- get into generosity that. And, well for I... an example is is that uh, Charlene was trying to find a place where she could do some weaving, and she asked and inquired and so on and so forth, and uh, either was crazy expensive or whatever. And then one day, she, somebody said to her, she "says Well, I know I have a friend that I said you were looking, and they said they might have a place for you." So she went to see it, and she came home, and she said. I've been imagining what an incredible place could be for me to do this. And where I just came from is way beyond that. <laughs> just way beyond that. And she said, I asked him how much it would be. And he said, I want you to weave some blankets. And that's it. And he just gave his space to her. And it was just beyond her imagination that it would be so incredible yeah magic 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 yeah and it's it just the appreciation that she has and i had regarding that is just wow and it, and it really this the response
0: is, is is how can we participate in that generosity and so how have you guys um, attempted to participate in that generosity? What has happened? Is, because like, as I know you and I know a bit about this background story of how there's been a transformation in your life, I just think it would be really interesting for uh, other people to get to hear about a little bit.
1: The heart attack was in November. And then in January, I, I wasn't feeling well psychologically. As much as I felt I had recovered from the heart attack, I still had very little energy, but the thing that I I recognized is that when the summer before, when we were living the absolute dream, I mean, we were we were alone in the Princess Louisa Inlet, which is one of the most spectacular places in the world, <laughs> truly. <laughs> After a 36-hour torrential rain. When you go to Princess Louisa Inlet, there are thousands of waterfalls pouring out of the mountains, almost on top of you. It's beyond description. You have to experience it. So that summer, that was the experiences. I mean, we're talking bears, whales, seals, dolphins, stars. It's just beyond oh. comprehension. <laughs> exactly. Angel singing. Exactly. But there still seemed to be something missing.
0: Yeah. What was missing?
1: And I came to the realization because of uh, a friend of mine. He was a is a real estate agent in Nanaimo, and he did a talk at a big convention to all the sales top salespeople. And what he did is he played some music, some pretty upbeat music, and he just turned it on really loud, and he's up there dancing and. Like three people out of these thousand people stand up and dance. And he said, well, that didn't work very well. And I'm watching this on YouTube because he always told me about it. So he changes the music. So he puts some disco on, right? So he says, okay, come on, people. And there's like 10 or 12 people out of the thousand people up dancing. So this is the time for his little lesson, right? He said, I was very much like you. He said, I thought I had to behave in a certain way. I had to do this, I had to conform, and I wasn't free. And I wouldn't dance. He said, "But I made a commitment to myself after I became a, a drug addict and addicted to this and stressed myself out on work and whatever, is that I wanted to dance in life. I have the freedom to do so." And when he was saying this, I was saying to I thinking to myself is that I wasn't dancing. All that I had had, right I had the I was living the dream, but I wasn't dancing. Mm. And and what that meant to me is that I wasn't giving up me. I wasn't giving up myself. I had gifts that I had to share with people. So he played the last song and he said, come on, people, either you're going to dance in life or you're not. And he turned on country and a thousand and one people get up and dance. And I I committed that day that I was going to dance with life. So what I decided to do at that point was says, how do I say thank you to these people? They said, well, I'm I'm pretty good at marketing stuff for small businesses. Why don't I just offer three people that I'll review their stuff and I'll work with them? One of those people who answered that call was your wife, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was wonderful. That's how I got to meet her and meet you, and then and two other people in. Those other two people, I still have great relationships with them. And one of those people is now what I call my best friend. Right on. Yeah. And, and that was sort of the initiation of me giving. And actually, John was the second person I met. And we met at the Slow Coast. And he sat down. And he said, uh, we talked for like a minute. And he said, well, what do you really want? I said, I don't understand. He said, well, what do you really want from me? He says, I've been in the corporate world for a long time. Nobody wants, doesn't give nothing for nothing. I said, I don't, I don't want anything back. I, I'm grateful that you give me the opportunity to give. And with reservation, he said, okay, I'll, I want to hear what you have to say. And, and that was one of the most important things that has happened to me, is to give with no expectation of return. And let me assure you, I got a lot back.
0: <laughs> I'm finding this so amazing to hear you speak about this and to talk about it right now. Because this story of you coming out and having the experiences of being on the boat and selling the house and making the move That's the end of the Hollywood movie. You guys are by yourselves and you're experiencing the wonders of nature and then the credits roll and that's the end of the story. But far from it is that you continue to look for a more enhanced, higher quality way to live. Yeah. Yeah. There's still more. There's still more. (laughs) For sure. There's still more. But what, what you're experimenting with, you're putting into action is an application of generosity for the sake of engaging with life more.
1: Yeah. It's so, it gives me a chance to dance. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. yeah. How are you enjoying life right now?
1: I don't think it's ever been better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it is. I, I, I don't know if it can be, I can have more experiences, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good place right now
0: for myself and other people listening. What is it about life that's making it so good for you right now? Is it your, how you're perceiving things, like how you're interacting with it? What is it that's making it so good for you right now?
1: I, I think sort of what there's, I have had senses all my life about how, how life works or who people are, senses, but still was stuck in to a certain degree of normalcy. What does that mean? <laughs> I have said for a long time that my gift is that I recognize who people truly are, and I felt that I felt that way for a long time, probably 40 years, to some degree, but didn't ever knew how to express that, or to be with it, or to yeah. I don't I don't know how to describe that, but I think it was what is happening now is now it is the truth meaning that i live life with the assumption that there is a force an energy a higher being whatever you want to call that that is benevolent to life and i believe that people their true nature is one with that force that People, their true nature is that they're compassionate. They care about people. They're generous. They're patient. They're kind. And people on Pender, I see it in them. And I see it reflected. And I do it for selfish reasons. (laughs) And then I see it in myself. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to see that more and more in people and in my relationships with them and how I behave or act or react. It's very, very subtle. <laughs> but it's, it's really quite incredible. It's incredible what people have done for us. And they just stand up and do it. You don't even you don't, it's not that you have to ask. You, you don't even have to think about it. I mean there's a guy at the marina, and we bought that scooter, and we want to put it out of the place so it's not, you know, interfering. And we put it on the kickstand underneath some trees, and it falls over the first night. So come the next day, he says, well, you don't know, have to put it, be more careful. So we'll go for the scooter. When we come back an hour later, there's concrete blocks on the ground. He noticed the scooter fall, I fell too. And he just built that. And he, he does, and yeah. And it just sort of shows up. And, it, and I say, yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> what? But it's just incredible. We're strangers. And he just shares that. And that's just an example of, of the experiences. There's probably a hundred.
0: Did you not witness these things with uh, that frequency or or to that degree when you were living out east or just had a bit of a different life? Or is it are you more aware of it now that you're in a bit of a different flow within your life? Or how do you think that's working?:
1: I think it's a, a, something about flow in your life. Because this has been the the sort of the standard story since we got the van to this side of the country. it's It's been typical stories. Uh, a fellow in Pender Harbor. He got a flat tire, and he he gave me his car to draw, drive to Seashell, which is thirty minutes away. He didn't know my name.
0: Wow, <laughs> seriously, okay. seriously. Yeah, I'm here's hilarious. the
1: keys. <laughs> and and when you get back, maybe you want to stay for supper. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> and I was in shock the whole way down. And when I get to the place, that I called them in advance. They we were in and out of there in five minutes this was at four thirty 30 at night. It was yeah. crazy, but yeah, it's, it just doesn't stop really.
0: Ne- yeah. yeah. I, I'm sure we're going to circle back to that and touch on that <laughs> a little bit more because it, it's really profound, but I I want to touch on the fact that tomorrow you're actually going to a, a celebration of life. And I want to say, thank you for coming in tonight because we were trying to figure out a time to do this and, you said that uh, tonight would be uh, perfectly fine to uh, to do this recording, but I know that uh, you have a celebration of life to go to tomorrow, and uh, I know you want to talk about it. You're okay to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, it is for your your father, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to know first of all your uh, your father's uh, first name and a little bit about uh, a little bit about him.
1: My father's name was Rudy. Uh, He came here in 1952 uh, from Holland after the war. His sister was living in Cape Breton. Her husband was a geologist on the coal mining field, and he wanted to uh, see a little bit of the world. So my father was a relatively quiet man. He was somewhat involved when we lived in Cape Breton with the community, but since coming here and retiring, he's just sort of, does his work around the around the yard, and the gardening, and so on and so forth, and and uh, loves people. Uh, and he, every time he would see somebody at the grocery store or any kind of cashier, he just always made a comment to them uh, to brighten their day, uh, a, a silly joke or that smile looks good on you or just something. That and everybody loved to see Rudy coming because when Rudy came, you knew he was going to brighten your day in some way. Anyway, so he was almost 94 years old. Yeah, and this is going to be a celebration of his life for me for sure. Because growing up, I was I was not embarrassed of my father, but he wasn't an achiever. right? He wasn't involved in this and this, and he didn't award that, and uh, so on and so forth. And, and a relatively quiet man. And I I discovered something about my father about well, 15 years ago that's just just blew me away. My first wife died of stomach cancer in two thousand and six. And through that time when I realized about my father is he loved my mother perpetually. <laughs> Always he loved my mother. And that's what he demonstrated to me. And until I had that 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 experience of, of losing my wife, I never saw it. And I've never wanted to emulate or be like anybody (laughs) in my life, except my dad. Yeah, so it gives me great honor to celebrate his life. Yeah, and I I, I look at it as a celebration because he was a very peaceful man and he went for a nap and he's still there, yeah.
0: Yeah, we talked a little bit about this upstairs that you said that uh, it's been a pretty uh, pain-free experience for your dad near the end of his life, and uh, you're pretty thankful for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. he didn't suffer. He was amazing because he didn't suffer. He was incredible. He had dementia, uh, but not Alzheimer's, so he maintained his personality stayed. But he was incredible because he came to a point where it wasn't safe for him to walk. They lived in New Brunswick as well. They just moved here a year ago, actually to the day that he died. Yeah, one year before that. He couldn't walk through the neighborhood anymore. It was very quiet, but it was just he couldn't do it. So he was somewhat restricted to his backyard. And somebody suggested that his world was getting very small. And then my mother told me a story. She says, no, no, his world is not shrinking. He just sees the smaller things. He sits in the yard and he's amazed at the birds and the flowers and the petals of the flowers now versus seeing the big clouds in the sky, and he just he just went deeper, and it was half amazing how he adjusted. And he never complained. He never said, "Oh, I want to go for a walk." I, do I? no, he just. My mother said that he couldn't go to the yard anymore unless he was a. He just he didn't, so. He picked the weeds, and he he knew the details of the flowers, and where the birds sat in the trees, and yeah, he was just he turned it into something more because he had a smaller distance to travel. Yeah, it's sort of symbolic of how he dealt with it. Yeah,
0: that's incredible, actually. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, well, he was
1: amazing. Yeah, he never complained ever.
0: No. What you talked about, about learning from your dad, about the experience of how he loved your mother. I guess, first of all, maybe let's talk about your mom a little bit. Uh, what What is your mom's first name? Millie. Millie. Amy Lee. Amy Lee. Well, yes. maybe we could talk about her for a little bit uh, right now. What uh, What can you tell us about uh, Well, she's uh,
1: from Holland, too. And everybody sort of loves this story because they can't understand it, is that My father's mother died when he was six. So his father remarried and he married my mother's aunt. So when my father was in Holland, she recommended that he write her a letter in Holland. So when he went back to Holland for his father's funeral, I think that was the first time he actually physically met my mother. Okay. Yeah. And then shortly after that, she went on a six month trip to Canada that she wanted to go see if this was a good place to live. And her father gave her permission for the only reason that I thought she'd never stay. Anyway, they were married two years later. (laughs) Yeah. So my mom is uh, 89 years old, and uh, she's an amazing woman. She was my best friend all my life.
0: Wow, really? Yeah. Please tell us more.
1: My mother was the person I called or talked to when I wanted to talk about something. Yeah. All my life. Yeah. I could talk to her about anything. And most for the most part, we talked about deep stuff. I, I call it deep stuff. Right? Uh, versus the weather. Yes, yeah. She was very important all my life. Yeah. And, and both my wives... We're always a little sort of jealous at the depth of that relationship.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I just want to say my condolences to you you and uh, to your mother. I'm just really feeling that right now.
1: Yeah. He was an amazing man. So I, yeah. Um, And I've always had this non fear of death. Uh, And when my first wife got. Uh, stomach cancer. She she died 14 months later, but that year was amazing. It was the most incredible time. She learned to accept love, and I learned what the hell it was. I never had a clue. <laughs> Not a clue in the world. I thought I did. I fell in love with her <laughs> on my 25th wedding anniversary for the first time. How did that happen? Well, my kids were planning a 25th wedding anniversary party and we were going to the grocery store in to visit her father who was in the hospital. And as we were driving into the parking lot at the, at the grocery store, I found myself singing in my head. I don't sing in my head. I never sing in my head. And I found myself singing. And I, I said to myself, what's up with this, Paul? And then it dawned on me. I fell in love. Yeah. And that whole year was an expression of that, a deepening of that, an understanding of that, a living of that, that I am forever grateful for.
0: I want to stick with this topic for a little bit because I think that uh, a lot of people, myself included, might not actually have a firm grasp of what love really is. I think that it's a, it's a word that has an incredible amount of uh, nuance and depth to it. And that uh, when you say you fell in love with your wife for the first time for 25 years during a time where she was suffering from stomach cancer, I just want to explore that a little bit further. That What happened to bring you to that point, to this realization that you fell in love for the first time? For a long time, I knew I was
1: inadequate being a husband. That that was probably the biggest weakness I had. It's not that I was abusive or anything like that. It's just that I wasn't loving. (laughs) And I tried. I honestly tried. I truly, I read, I studied, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I couldn't bring myself to being different. And then one day it changed. (laughs) I didn't do anything, but it changed. And I I can't tell you the difference because it's not really describable in words, but it's, it's a deep sense of appreciation. It was the perfect storm. She had nothing to give back. I never had any expectations. I just had hope that she'd still be there the next day. It was the perfect storm. had nothing to give back. So, yeah, and I just gave. And I gave freely. And people would say, well, don't you want a break? Well, God's sake, don't send me somewhere else. That's not a break. I want to be here. And, yeah, there's no instructions. Because partially after she said, i got to figure out how I can tell other people how to do this. Right? What's the secret remedy? Mm -hmm. There isn't one. Uh, and I still suffer with inadequacies with Charlie. Right? It's not as if now I'm the perfect love guy. No. There's an expectation now, it's to a certain degree, of something coming back. right? But unconditional love is giving 100%. This 50-50 stuff, that's bull. It's not 50. It's 100%. It's not conditional on what the other person does. It's conditional of, of who you are and giving if you want to feel love, give it. The rest is, is that's artificial, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you want to feel love, give it, and you'll feel it. <laughs> and keep on giving it <laughs> if you want to feel more. Yeah. And then you will be lovable, <laughs> and you'll you'll feel love.
0: You told me earlier upstairs that you, you saw how your dad treated and loved your mom, and that uh, it was such a gift to witness that. And then to also identify that as well, too, because you, you said that uh, it was something that you hadn't really perceived before. Didn't see it. Didn't see it. No. And then eventually you did. and Because uh, you know what success is, don't you? I don't know. What is success, Paul? Well,
1: it's the perceived success, right? Is that there's certain levels or achievements or things you have to possess or have an experience
0: Oh, yes. Right? Familiar. yes. Yeah, I'm you know, familiar with know, success. You yeah, those things, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. Right, right. right, right.
1: And, and that's how I sort of looked at him. It's not that he was unsuccessful. He or we, is growing up, we had more than in most. But it's, it's just, you know, dad's sort of ordinary. He's never had any. just look like, wow. And then I went, wow. It's way beyond that stuff. It's something that most people have never achieved. That you don't even know it's available, and then I realized that that's who he was and, and it's not something he tried to do it's just who he was and that's just become wow that's that's my dad <laughs> right now now I have somebody to that I I looked up to him he became very very tall, <laughs> yeah.
0: Just by his actions, just by living his life the way that he. The quiet
1: way that he did. Yeah. But it was always the same. Yeah, He never changed his mind about my mother. Even later, when he he couldn't remember what he had on the last mouthful, he'd remember her birthday. Yeah. And even a couple weeks ago. My mother had a little mini stroke. I think they think that's what it was. And she, and she wasn't feeling well. And my father at this point was napping, sleeping most of the day. And he couldn't go to bed because he had to make sure that she was okay. And he just did this quietly. And before he goes to bed, he just he sort of grabs her by the shoulder and he says, good night, my darling. Yeah, I, I don't do that, <laughs> really. And with such passion, yeah, he's an amazing man. Incredible,
0: yeah, really incredible. Um, these are pretty, pretty powerful. Everybody who knows my
1: father, they just said, "What a, what a, what a nice man! What a gentle man! Yeah, a gentle man he was." It's yeah,
0: beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Before we move on to any other uh, topics, is is there anything else that you want to close off with? Uh, speaking about your your dad or your mother or your um, your first wife, any final thoughts on on those areas or?
1: Um, not really, especially now it, it, with dad's celebration on Sunday, uh, what's unique is all three sons are now living in, on Vancouver Island, if you classify. Tinder on Vancouver Island, yeah. Um, which, which is nice. My daughter's flying out. There's going to be my brother's children there as well as, as a couple of cousins. Probably the most winter show ones in one spot in, in a long, long time. And ironically, on the other side of the country, hmm. huh? it'll be a nice day. Right on. Yeah, wonderful day, I'm sure.
0: So two other brothers? So there's three of you?
1: Three of us, yeah. And Ironically, we're all here now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, where are you in that line? I'm in the middle. You're the middle child, I, of course. <laughs> All right. What's uh, your older brother's name?
1: Uh, Rudy. My oldest brother's name is Rudy. Okay, yeah. Yep. Uh, Rudolph. You know, when the phone rang, was always with junior or senior. Uh, and my younger brother's two years younger than me, and he's Terry.
0: Fantastic. I just want to get back to uh, to a couple more Pender centric things here, and you know, it's interesting for somebody who's relatively new to the island and living in a bit of a unique situation what have you been doing to integrate into the community and uh, what sort of activities and events and people have you been meeting since you've been living on pender island
1: the funniest question i get is it really is well what do you do all day in your boat what do you do all day in your house (laughs) it's much more work having a boat Uh, boat's a lot of work it took me all summer to paint the hull course they didn't take it out of the water.
0: Which looks beautiful. I saw that on Facebook by the yeah, way. I'm it's like British racing green on yeah, the bus that's like, fantastic. I've
1: extremely thrilled on, on the results. And last year I did the deck. But besides that, of course there's some like, casual social stuff that happens at at the marina, right? Yeah. That happens every day. Uh, fundamentally Charlene and I both come off the boat every day. And not just to you know put your toe on the land but to participate in the community. Uh, and when, one of the most fascinating, it's another one of those crazy stories is that I now have a day of the week that I know what it is. It's Tuesday, and that's the day I drive the Sothridge truck. Okay, yeah. I go pick up supplies. It's the only, that's where I have a grounding every, once, once a week.
0: Okay, so for people that know, Southridge is a uh, local uh, country store. That, uh, so you, you pick up the food and bring it back. You go right. to Vancouver Island, right. you take the ferry, bring it back. Yeah, exactly. Every, every,
1: every Tuesday, we you know leave, leave at 8 and come back at 4. Okay. Uh, makes 10 or 12 stops to pick a variety of things up. And as a result of that, I went to Sunwing Greenhouses where they grow tomatoes. So when I saw hanging uh, cherry tomatoes there and I said, I bet I could hang those off the back of my boat. All right. (laughs) So I did. I I made a spot so I could hang off the the back of my boat and I was eating cherry tomatoes. And I made a post on Facebook showing off my tomatoes. And as a result, somebody said, well, you should get a garden at the community garden. And I never thought of having a garden. What a bizarre idea. Absolutely. I live live on a boat. (laughs) The (laughs) cherry tomatoes were bizarre enough. And... And I sort of started to entertain the idea. So one day, Charlene and I went to the community center to see if we could inquire where this was and if they had any space available. And there was nobody there. But there was a woman out front, and I asked her, I said, do you know where the community community garden is, and can you tell me anything about it? And she did that, and we left. And a couple days later, she Facebooked Charlene and said, well, I have this piece of land that I... I garden on, and I was wondering, be interested that you could use some of it. We said, well, it's a possibility. Still not sure that we'd, we would want a garden. <laughs> so she tells, gives the addresses on Clam Bay Road. We, we drive down the driveway, and I, we get there, and it's this quiet, peaceful garden and surrounded by the hills and the trees, totally private on the ocean. And there's two and a half acres, and it's irrigated. And I just started showing, I says, this looks like an invitation back to Eden. (laughs) That's how I termed the place. Uh, And she said, you can can use any one of those two plots. You can have one, you can choose two. And I looked and she had injured her shoulder. And I said, why don't I just help you? Put your garden in. I can do the tilling. I can do the grunt work and blah, blah, blah. And agreed on that. And that was in May. And I go there every day now. (laughs) <laughs> to my garden uh and the first thing i do in the day is sit in a chair under the apple trees and i just sit there and be quiet for some minutes and the birds just the, i'm part of the environment there now the hummingbirds and the thrushes and whatever just zinging by my hand and the
0: it's just an amazing
1: place yeah i spend a lot of time there
0: now okay yeah you know i just found out about this tonight when we were discussing yeah. uh, this upstairs but it's you- more magic yeah, yeah. Well, and so what? Uh, what have you been growing? At uh... well,
1: uh, full range of vegetables, including we just we planted not very long ago for a, a winter crop. Um, plus, there's uh, two greenhouses there, and starting to propagate some other plants, and we'll be preparing plants during the early spring to to put in, and we're hopefully going to supply the Friday soup uh, with the vegetables they need. Uh, on an ongoing basis next
0: summer. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Right on. Cool, huh? So, yeah, totally. <laughs> so the, for people who don't know, the Friday Soup is uh, part of the community hall. They have a Friday lunch that uh, takes place. That uh, they, they make soup every week? Every week. Every week, okay. Yeah. So it that could be some vegetables help, from help you. Help fill yeah. the pot. <laughs> Fantastic. So you spend your time gardening every day, <laughs> which kind of blows me away. But yeah, also what uh, what other activities and uh Organizations or people, because I know that you're kind of involved in different things on the island. But what? Uh...
1: Yeah, I'm not really heavily involved. I I do enjoy going to uh, the Socrates Cafe uh, once or twice a week. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I participate in the save Save the World meeting, but in in general, it's more about the simple interactions with people. There's no other projects, so to speak, that involved in is there something that have notice of what i do
0: well no i was just just sort of thinking about because like of course i know that uh, the socrates cafe so people who may not know what that is it's a um, twice a week it's a gathering of people to talk about a uh, specific question it's a philosophical conversation between a group of people that takes place um but you mentioned about simple interactions with people
1: Uh, yeah well um i have a lot of friends on the water now uh, and people that I, I've met. And I, I use the same fundamental. People have asked me to help them. And then they ask me, how much do I want? And I find that a very <laughs> challenging question. You're my friend. Do Am I supposed to get paid to be your friend? Right? You're not asking me to paint your house while you go to work. You're asking me to help you with your boat. And that's been so much shocking to some people. No, i help you. How much do you want? You have to promise me that you will not pay me. (laughs) You have to promise me, right? That's the only condition I have. And when that happens, something else happens. It's not reciprocity. It's, It's really been some, I call them exciting, sort of transitions in people's attitude toward themselves and also their freedom to give. It's not uncommon to somebody to knock on the side of my boat and maybe have some fresh seafood or help in a crazy way <laughs> or a simple way. It, in, it, it may be food. It may be a drive because I'm lugging gas jugs. But it's like a community, I think, was, it was more interactive like that before where people depended on each other and it wasn't all about that I got to make a buck. Mm-hmm. Everything is charged for where people now have the money to not need people. They can just hire them. Right. I, I feel good in in enhancing those kind of relationships.
0: Yeah, you know, through doing this podcast, I've noticed that people who had lived here decades ago had spoken of a time like that that existed on Pender more where it was more about an exchange of labor labor between friends. And that I've noticed, and from what you're saying as well too, that it's less that way now for sure, significantly less, that it's more about uh, hiring people to do things rather than exchanging things back and forth. But you're finding that through your acts of generosity that people want to reciprocate, not necessarily out of a... Um, well, I got I to even this up, but it feels good.
1: Well, I think there's a fundamental principle that I believe is true, is everybody has something to give. That's what I felt I was missing after I had the heart attack, is that I wasn't giving. I was doing all the receiving. I wasn't asking so much for other people, but I was receiving from the from, from nature and living the good life. But I wasn't giving of myself. And the giving, I think people have that inherent need to give of themselves, whether that's a particular skill or gift, whatever you may call it, so what they can, how they can participate. And I think everybody has that inherent need. I know I do. (laughs) I have that. And without that, there's a void. And to spark that or give people the opportunity, I think that's one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody else. It's give them the opportunity to share what they have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it really changes people's lives. And I think there's nothing much more meaningful than giving of yourself to another.
0: It's <laughs> profound. Seriously, Paul, it totally is. Really, I got chills hearing that. The second traditional question that you know that this podcast is, is who's helped you on Pender Island? And it's kind of an interesting one to go to. And the reason that I asked this question is because... Initially, I thought, okay, well, the person sitting on the other side of me is going to be talking about themselves for an hour. So let's allow them an opportunity to give back within the conversation and have them highlight some people within the community. And and then what came from that was realizing, oh, my gosh, everybody I've asked this question to has answered. There's so many people. It's such a giving place and it really made me realize just how generous this island is by hearing one person after another say oh my gosh I, there's just too many people to list uh you know like giving a handful of names but saying i'm missing so many people but my question for you is the same as everybody else is there anybody that you want to uh, specifically mention or uh throw that out to as people who have uh, specifically helped you along the way
1: I'm not any different than anybody else. I mean, we've only been here a short time. And from the very first moment we came, stepped on land, before we stepped on land, there was people giving. I called the marina and said, how much to drop off my garbage? They said, oh, well, there'd be no charge. I said, no, 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 there's no charge. They've changed their policies since, but that was the that was the first thing. And then the, the scooter thing. And that was you. He's one of the most inspirational guys. The quiet maintenance guy that nobody sees at the marina. He's amazing. I don't think he knows it, but he is amazing. One day we we're coming out of the True Value, and we see you there, and he's in his truck with his dog. And Uh, We got two big bags of groceries, and uh, he's got the dog, he gets some groceries, he hops in his vehicle, and he drives home. A few minutes later, he's back in the parking lot, no dog. And I said, oh, you came back, what are you doing here? I came to drive you home. Really? Yes. So we hop in, and he drives us back to the rear, because, you know, we had two bags of groceries, not that we couldn't carry them, but he felt that was important. And at the same time, the reason we were walking is that my scooter broke down at the community center. That very next day, I went to the garage and I said, is there a vehicle I could borrow? Can I rent a truck? I have to get my scooter. I'm going to bring it here so you can fix it. They said, well, why don't you just put it on Facebook and ask if somebody has a truck you can throw it in the back of. I said, oh, okay, good idea. So I was walking back to the marina and I saw Hugh. And he said to me, I hear your bike is at the community center. I could go help you pick it up. I said, well, when do you want to go? He says, how's now? He's just an amazing guy. He gives them of himself every day, and he has no expectation of anything in return. Actually, it's very difficult. (laughs) Besides thanking him, shaking his hand, giving him a hug, whatever, it's very hard to try to pay him back. Wow. He's a very generous man.
0: Hugh. 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 Okay, maintenance manager at the marina.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Quiet, unassuming guy. It's wonderful.
0: Anybody else you'd like to highlight or –
1: there's been so many, the people have been so generous in so many different ways. I mean, the garden, the, the, the weaving, the invitation to the marina, driving home. Oh, by the way, you know, there's a big storm. You want to come in? Just come in. The do, number of people that Charlene has met on her our, on our, on our walks. Yeah, and it's funny stories that I can't tell you the details of, of things that people have found and, and said, oh, here, I, I remember, here you go, and... Yes, endless, endless, endless. Truly, I mean, just the number of people who were involved that with that one heart incident over the next three days, and yeah, it's it's
0: been perpetual, perpetual. Fantastic. I know. I want to uh, begin to wind this down a little bit, but uh, I want to see if there's anything in particular you want to talk about. I'm just looking at my notes here and seeing the uh, the keto diet, which we talked about earlier. I don't know if you want to get into that or not, or or. Ask about your yellow glasses.
1: <laughs> well, the, the yellow <laughs> glasses, uh, I, I may do the keto after, but the yellow glasses are really, really important. Is that one day I was, I stopped at a marine store and there was a gentleman working behind the counter, who was very similar in age to me, and he had a pair of orange glasses on. And I saw them and they were stunning. And stunning me that I was stunned when I saw that he was wearing them. And I said, Man, that must guy must have freedom to be able to do that. And he looks like he's enjoying life. And I thought about it and I said, I'm going to get new glasses, fun glasses. And I decided on these yellow ones. And ever since I put them on, I'm funner. It's true. <laughs> yeah, right on. It's true. Yeah. And and part of that story is that now when I come on the dock, there's guys who sit on a boat regularly in, in the afternoon, and, you know they tell bullshit stories back and forth all day. And when I step onto the dock, they see me coming, they sing Elton John songs, and I think it's hilarious. Not, not only am I having more fun, so are they.
0: Yeah,
1: and and the part of the funny part is is that when I'm on top of the dock, people who are who are transies who come in uh with with their boats they're sort of looking and they said they say more than once those guys are locals and i think they're drunk (laughs) and people look at me every day and sometimes they're embarrassed that they're looking at me because they sort of stand out (laughs) and but most people smile and the number of people who say and even men i like your glasses And, and you can tell it's like yeah there's there's some kind. There's fun. There's freedom. There's something associated with these silly glasses. One of the best investments I've ever made.
0: Really? Absolutely. Yeah, just because of the ripple effect that's happened through oh. your life, that there's just more, more fun.
1: I am more fun with them on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm freer with them on.
0: Yeah. It's it's so great. You know, like going <laughs> going back to like seeing how you talked about making this move out and having the experiences of being on the boat, and it just seems as if you are constantly. Progressing, that you're you're trying new things. I think I'm just being freer. I just don't know if I
1: don't think I'm getting anywhere. <laughs> 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 really, <laughs> really. I think you are. No, I, I it it might it might sense that, but I I think I'm I'm going closer to where I started.
0: What do you mean by that? Uh, yes, yeah, me
1: to Me quite.
0: Well, it's an interesting line. You're going closer to where you started. It's like
1: what I see about people, about who they are, I think I'm becoming more me, more authentic, more true me, freer. I lived under the the delusion partially of my life that I had to improve myself. And at the same time, I've always rejected it. Going is I was there was always a conflict, is that I have to be more. No, I am I am enough, and now I I'm pretty solid and I am. There's there's no definition of enough. I am. And and that it's not even a definition of enough. And people are, <laughs> they they are. I am. <laughs> yes, and and it's about trying to be less, or trying to be. <laughs> Less. Less time trying to be something else.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. more time trying to be. Just t- more time being. Hmm. It's so funny because it sounds so simple. And yet, uh, damn, yeah. there's all these constructs in place that make it so hard. <laughs> it ain't easy. It ain't easy. <laughs> it's
1: still, it's, It still sounds simple. But I think it's about less. And I think moving on the boat is a contribution to that. Because we live with less, but we live more. Yeah, that the concept, and I don't its not something I voice very often. But you know, this concept—more is less, or less is more—it is. And more trying to be something is a burden. It's a denial to other people. It's a denial to yourself. Hmm. That's what I've discovered. It's- <laughs>
0: The story I can relate to with that is that uh, I spent a number of years going out and working in a fire lookout tower in Alberta for uh, multiple, multiple summers. And each season I would take less material possessions with me. And I felt as if each season the experience was enhanced and that there was bag showers and there was an outdoor toilet and had to collect rainwater. And I always loved it. It was so great to... Have all these little difficulties about managing your life and things? Everything took longer, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful to. So you've lived on a boat, well, <laughs> sort of a it's land the same, boat. It's the same kind,
1: same concept, exactly. And I didn't try to do it. Yeah,
0: and I've I've moved away from that. And as we're having this conversation, I'm sort of thinking, yeah, this is this is all making sense. What Paul is saying, and it's bringing me back to those those days and. Remembering just how much more my life felt like and when there was far less.
1: And I didn't plan or try to do this. It wasn't a strategy. It just sort of
0: happened. (laughs) Did you allow the space for it to happen, would you say? Yes. Part
1: of it is the principle of adventure is embracing the unknown.
0: Ah, there we go
1: that's probably the biggest contribution I think is, is really looking excited about the unknown.
0: Excited about the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. That's what
1: an adventure is because that's how we started and it still is an adventure.
0: Yeah. I think those are um, wise, important and wonderful words for all of us to embrace the unknown.
1: Oh, yes. It's the most exciting place. (laughs) (laughs) Potentially.
0: (laughs) I think I'm going to bring this to a close on that note pretty much. But uh, Paul, seriously, amazing. (laughs) It was fun. Yeah, totally. This is is an unknown for me. Each time I do this, it's an unknown. And uh, I have a... Uh, reinvigorated excitement about uh, about doing this now, and uh, this is the reason why. Because these conversations like this, that uh... and you know why? Because this is
1: one of those gifts that you're sharing with Pender. Yeah, and we appreciate it. I know yeah. I do. Thanks. Yeah, I know it's very very important what you do. So thank you. Yeah,
0: you're welcome. I really enjoy doing it. It uh, it's a it's a selfish thing i'm doing
1: hey congratulations yeah totally (laughs) it gives me
0: a lot of joy so i'm gonna do it but with with all the things we covered and uh coming to an end here is there any final words you have for uh the people of pender island and other people listening thank you that's all thank you thanks paul thank you all right well i'd like to thank paul for doing that interview And to honor that interview, I decided I would come to the bridge. So the bridge is what connects north and south Pender Island, and it was built around 1957, I believe, and it's only about 300 feet across, and it just runs over top of a little canal that divides the two islands. And the reason I decided I'd come here today is because there's only one bridge on Pender Island, and I feel as if Paul is able to connect and bridge ideas for me in quite a unique way. So I want to thank Paul again for doing that interview. I want to thank Tarmigan for helping to support this podcast. Thank you to Ben McConkie for providing the theme music. And thank you for listening. Until next time.